everyone, and welcome to the Friday, June 9th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, Iowa Senate Democrats change their leader. Mike Pence makes it official while in Iowa. Presidential candidates roast Dan Ride, and the latest on the Davenport downtown building collapse. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. Uh, glad to see that uh, you made it back from the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> I just just barely given how long it took me to find some of my wayward golf shots. Um, Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. We have Jared McNett of Sioux City Journal. Greetings, Jared. Aaron, I uh, I took a wrong turn at the uh, the Roasting Ride, and I ended up among the uh, John Wick Samurai Motorcycle Gang. So very very bad weekend for me. I don't know. That sounds like more fun. I I, I kind of wish I had made that same wrong turn. <laughs> Finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Howdy. <laughs> All right. First up this week, uh, some breaking news uh, midweek as Iowa Senate Democrats held an impromptu meeting and elected a new leader, Senate Pam Yoakum of Dubuque, in the process ousting their former leader, Senator Zach Walls of Coralville, who had led the caucus for the past three years. Uh, This again was an unscheduled (laughs) event. Legislative leadership elections typically happen only right after general elections every two years. And Senate Democrats are being mostly tight-lipped about the affair, um, but it appears to be largely um, over Wall's recent dismissal of two longtime Senate Democratic caucus staffers, Eric Baker and Deb Cattenhorn. Um, Todd, this is a sort of inside baseball thing that most Iowans, you know, won't tune into, don't really care about. But I, it, I mean, it was it was interesting, a little bit unexpected. Um, what does this say, if anything, about the state of Democrats in the Iowa Senate right now, or or maybe even Iowa Democrats more broadly? I mean, like, on the surface, this seems to be a bad look for a group that's trying to work out of a 36 to 14 hole in the Senate. Yeah, you're right. I don't think most Iowans are tuned into, you know, leadership. If you took 10 off the street and asked them who the Senate minority leader is, they probably wouldn't have been able to, to tell you. Uh, you know, it... it the problem is we don't know what we don't know. I mean, we do know that these two longtime staffers with likely strong relationships with lawmakers in the caucus were were let go, uh, and that didn't sit well. And uh, so we, we know that was a factor, but we, you know, you also don't know whether it was that exactly or whether, you know, it, it seems like maybe his his hold on the leadership position might have been a little tenuous if if this was, you know, what led to him being immediately ousted. So there's probably some other uh, discontent with his leadership. Um, You know, it's from the outside, for those who are paying attention, I mean, it, it does, it does look like you're, you know, you're, you're ousting one of the up and coming young stars of the party in favor of handing leadership over to someone that's been at the state house for 30 years and maybe that hurts your ability to argue that you you know you bring a new generation of leadership or things like that 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 parties like to say so yeah we we don't know for sure what all went on of course it's a closed caucus meeting we don't get to see the email that he sent out on the reorganization of his office uh but it was abrupt i don't think he was expecting to be 
ousted like that. And uh, so we'll see going forward. And as you say, they it's such a small caucus. I mean, I guess it's it's good that they were in the end unified behind Yoakum, Pam Yoakum's leadership, but because unity is about all you have when you're in the minority, you need to you need to sort of stick stick together, and well, especially in the Senate. Yeah, and that's why I asked, you know, because clearly there was some division, at least in the view of of the the, the leadership and 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 the job being done from leadership. I mean, that that seems like a dangerous thing to have going on in your caucus when, like I said, you're you're you know not only on the mat you're at about a nine and a half count before uh i mean the only about farther down the iowa democratic party can go is battling to be recognized as official party in the state that's about the only thing left beneath them i mean there there's you i would think that this group would be working tirelessly to have that unity and have that vision for how they get out of this hole and 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 rebuild their numbers and and this makes it pretty apparent that that's not the case right now which it seems a dangerous thing yeah i mean we don't in the end the vote was unanimous but we have no idea what the debate sounded like yeah you know we we don't know who was on whose side i mean in the end you want it to be a unified vote because that's looks better but i'm yeah i'm certain that there wasn't unity going into the meeting and uh yeah i mean it's 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 unusual to, to oust a leader midstream it's it's sort of happened before a few times but it, it's never a good sign for the party that needs to do that yeah and and to well, that point uh tom uh just real quick you as i said they're being mostly tight-lipped about it but you did talk to one senator molly donahue and, and she did say to talk to todd's point that it was if I if I read your story right, and um, it it was partially about these recent dismissals, but maybe maybe not entirely about that. Also, is that a fair summary of what Molly Senator John Hughes said to you? Right. Yeah. Um, she said it wasn't about one single issue. It wasn't tied directly to uh, the ouster of these longtime staffers and. Um, the email from Senator Walls about restructuring the leader's office. She said there were um, several different issues involved um, that led to the vote and the change in leadership, but she wouldn't elaborate. Um, but then I um, did speak to, to somebody else um, on background, someone with um, knowledge of the deliberations by um, the Senate Democratic Caucus, who said that um, the dismissal of the longtime staffers what was the issue that the dispute over that um, was kind of what what prompted or what sparked the the meeting by the caucus and in the um, eventual vote and change in leadership. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like Todd previously said, you know, we we don't really know. Um, you know, they're still being pretty tight lipped, and um, yeah. So will those two staffers get their jobs back? Have they said anything about that? They they have not. Um, the only thing they've said is that their last day in the office was Friday, June second. Yeah, that's a good point. That 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 would be interesting, I guess. 
Yeah. And, and I haven't been able to get a hold of um, Senator Yoakum or Senator Walls to, to find out. Yeah. Are they going to bring them back or what, what the yeah. status is there? Um, also reached out to, um, to one of the staffers and left a message, but didn't hear back, which is not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. This has the uh, has the feel of like a, a a franchise that's been like on the skids for a while, and maybe first they get rid of like a problem player, and then maybe they fire the coach, and then oh things are still going poorly, so now we need to get rid of the GM or, or someone else in in the front office, and eventually I don't know how many other people you can like move around or or pair back or, or swap out. <laughs> like Todd said, especially when there's only fourteen of you to start with. The problem for the Iowa Senate Democrats is there's no uh, legislative draft lottery with uh, Women Waya coming in. I know I butchered that. How do you pronounce that name, Jerry? Women Yama. Women Yama. Thank you. Yeah, there's there's no Women Yama walking through the doors for the Iowa Senate Democrats. Oh, I love it when we get to make sports analogies. Fun, fun. All right, moving on. Uh, and and before we hop back on the caucus campaign trail, I wanted to get the latest from Sarah on the Davenport downtown building collapse. Um, and allow me here first to take a point of personal privilege and say that despite what uh, some partisan journalist who has wildly out of touch perceptions of what local newspaper staffs look like, and clearly has not set foot in the local newsroom in decades may think, <laughs> I'm here to tell you that the Quad City Times has done a spectacular job reporting this story. So if you're not already, um, get caught up and check out all the fantastic uh, reporting that that crew has done over there. Uh, so, Sarah, that out of the way, uh, give us the head, top headlines from this past week, uh, what's been going on in Davenport. And I saw it. Did I see we got another building that there's concerns over now, too? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so thanks for that, Aaron. Um, I'll kind of go through. So this last week, there was still quite a bit of news. Um, so city officials said uh, Monday, confirmed that uh, three people, Brandon Colvin Sr., Ryan Hitchcock, and Daniel Priyan had died in the collapse and their remains were found and identified over the weekend. So autopsies will be done in those deaths and uh, city officials didn't say, you know, at like uh, an estimated time of death or, or cause um, yet. And then later that day, the governor visited, did not uh, come into the press conference, but did tour the damage um, and very briefly and uh, got an update from city officials. And then Wednesday, the governor sent a letter to the White House asking for assistance for debris removal, demolition and reimbursement for emergency response. Um, so she estimated that the, the emergency protective measures was gonna estimate, it was gonna cost about five to $6 million um, and that about a hundred households have been displaced both in the building and from surrounding buildings, along with about 12 businesses. Um, there's also not uh, going to be a federal investigation from the agent, the federal agency that uh, investigated the Surfside Florida building collapse. That's the uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology. Um, spokesperson told us essentially that the because of the building's age, it was opened in 1907. A full technical analysis uh, of Davenport's collapse, they say, wouldn't yield any new information to update the nation's building codes and recommendations, so they're not um, going to do that full technical uh, investigation. Um, there's also a uh, city council meeting on Wednesday where several residents, including family members, uh, especially of uh, Brandon Colvin Sr., really told city officials that 
you know, there were too many warning signs and that essentially that they'd failed the residents um, and, you know, ensuring that housing was safe for them. Uh, and then to your point uh, about the additional buildings. So yeah, so actually right across the street from 324 Main Street, uh, a building called the Executive Square Apartments. Um, most of them had already been evacuated because they were facing the structure. So um, the city had evacuated a lot of nearby buildings um, for, they said, safety reasons um, in case the building were to come down unexpectedly. Uh, and so there are about five apartments the city said that we're not evacuating that building. And because of, quote, areas of structural concern, unquote, they evacuated those five remaining apartments. Um, and so this is definitely in Davenport, there are a lot of people that have just a heightened awareness now looking at brick and masonry buildings, especially. Um, actually, the Freight House Farmers Market, which is a city-owned building that rents out to businesses and they they like have a farmer's market in the parking lot they closed briefly because there was some there was a crack in, in an exterior wall that people were concerned about and so they brought an inspector on site and cleared it so then and then brought brought everyone back but um but it was closed for for a day to to get that evaluated all right so obviously um a lot that happened. I'm sure a lot still to unpack, Sarah. What what's like one or two big questions that y'all still are trying to have answered, or a, a story you're working on related to all this? What, what what's coming up next? Yeah, so um, there have been several lawsuits filed this week, which is one thing I forgot to mention. Um, um, suing Andrew Wold, the building owner. Um, uh, the city and several contractors that had done some work on the building. So I think the question that we've still got is why did a structural engineer sign off on this building and not deem it, you know, structurally unsound or require evacuations? Like what, it's not really clear from the documents that have been released, what was missed and why, why this engineer who's, you know, certified engineer doesn't have any complaints is a from a reputable company why they missed uh something like this um and then also just like how is who is going to be held accountable in court and what uh like what there so there's several investigations going on like from uh the state dci and uh and They've talked about an like investigative team, but they haven't talked about like who's going to lead it necessarily. Um, so just uh, and, and I think Shive Hattery, a local engineering firm, is going to do. They said they were going to do like a 3D imaging of the building to try to determine what caused the collapse. So really digging into like the cause of the collapse, I think, will uh, really provide a lot of answers for people, and then also um, who is going to be held responsible uh, in a court court of law. Yeah. yeah. Sir, to that point, I, I was curious uh, for anyone who might not know, have any of the lawsuits that have come out so far, have any of those involved the city? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's three lawsuits that have been filed. And I think of those two of them name the city um, as responsible, basically because um, they could have evacuated the building. There were a couple times where they had threatened to evacuate the building, but did not. Um, and so, yeah, there's uh, some lawsuits do name name the city for um, failing to uh, failing to catch this essentially. 
Sarah, one quick question I had, um, kind of building off that. Um, so these are civil lawsuits, but I've seen a lot of questions on social media asking about, will there be any criminal charges that result from this? I don't know if you can answer that. That is a great question. That's that's a, definitely a question that we have as well. Yeah, obviously a lot going on here and will continue to be. And Sarah and her awesome team will continue to cover and we'll, and we'll continue to talk about it uh here um so again good job to you, sarah to you and all the gang over there um all right let's get back in the politics saddle uh mike pence made his presidential campaign official this week and he did it in iowa with an announcement event on the des moines area community college campus in ankeny my mileage budget thanks you for that one mr vice president right down the road uh pence drew some noteworthy contrast with his former boss former president donald trump and this was before um, Thursday night's uh, announced indictment. Um, Pence went a little further than we've heard him in the past, especially regarding uh, his role in the certification of the 2020 presidential election results. Uh, Jared, how will Pence's comments play with Iowa Republicans, especially the type of Iowa Republicans who are most likely to caucus? So we're talking about, uh, um, the, you know, the most conservative and most uh, devoted of, of the group here. Big caucus picture. Uh, will criticizing Trump over January 6th help Pence or hurt him, do you think? Well, um, as I've talked about before, um, on January 6th, there were people who chanted hang Mike Pence uh, because they thought he wasn't sufficiently loyal to Donald Trump. Um, and they're still polling from March of this year showing a majority of Republican and Republican-leaning respondents believe Biden didn't legitimately win the election. And about a third of those um, believe there's solid evidence to show it was stolen. So I don't think that Pence um, is going to improve his vote share with those um, particular caucus uh, voters by going after Trump about election results. Um, I do think, though, that uh, of anyone that's currently in the race, uh, Pence might be the one who's most likely to be like a Rick Santorum or Mike Huckabee for this cycle. Someone who has like, you know, the quote unquote conservative bona fides who we aren't talking about as much as the main two people in the race and is not really a firebrand and then could kind of win in Iowa, but then would likely gradually taper off in, in subsequent states. Um, I also think, though, that he has a weirder to walk than anyone else in the race since he was Trump's VP. It's so much harder to claim credit for anything when you're running against the guy that was actually the president. So yeah, that that's such a great point. I've I've, I've mentioned that too. He, he has such a fine and weird line to uh, to to thread. Um, um, and to your point, uh, you know, if he if if his path is the Santorum path, he was in a pizza ranch yesterday, so. Uh, he's he's <laughs> he's traveling the road uh, uh, commonly traveled by many of the Iowa caucus candidate before him. Um, it was it, I, I agree with everything you said, Jared. Um, the one thing I'll add was interesting. Now, look, I admittedly was in a spot where it was shooting fish in a barrel. Right. I, I was at the Mike Pence announcement event. So obviously anybody who made an effort to come to that is a little more open to and, and supportive of Mike Pence than you might find at a normal Iowa GOP event, you know, but I did find people who said like, hey, I, I thought he did the right thing on January 6th. Good for him. And and when he said the line um, on that day, I, I was I had to choose between what 
the president told me and what the constitution says and i chose the constitution he got a literal standing ovation for that line um now like i said again that was in that place that was at the mike pence event if he says that you know at the uh lincoln dinner uh later this year that the reaction uh might be different um um or at the state fair maybe i, I don't know um but, but it was interesting um to see that there you know there are some of those voters in the republican uh caucus world that still exist that um are receptive to that message is it enough to make pence you know give him a path out of the pack and challenging the leaders uh i think that's a, a fair question to ask and, and probably even doubt all right finally this week uh let's take a look back at uh, u.s senator joni ernst annual roast and ride fundraiser which was held last weekend at those iowa state fairgrounds it featured remarks from all of the top presidential candidates except for trump uh tom you and i worked the fairgrounds last saturday what stood out most to you was there anything that uh, one of the candidates said anything that uh, one of the conservatives in attendance uh, said to you what uh, what caught your attention at the roast and ride yeah um a couple of things um caught my attention uh it was mostly the um the comments and the reaction from um you know likely uh iowa gop primary voters who were there um including one woman i talked to um who said that uh, she's already looking to um to to knock some people off that uh, she feels that uh you know that the 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 race for the uh, GOP nomination is already too crowded and she's looking to cross people off her list and she was you know looking to yeah to to start winnowing the field already and 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 uh, like I said crossing some people off her list which I thought um was interesting um the the other thing that stood out to me um was um i talked to um a woman who said um that she has both a trump flag and a desanta sign in her front yard um which i thought was really interesting given how those two are going after one another um and um she um she said that uh oh, i'd have to go back and, and and check my notes but i believe she said that she was um a um a, a trump delegate to um the state convention um so she she supported uh trump back in um 2016 um but has grown um i guess um increasingly frustrated or um disillusioned by by trump and is now um you know looking at some of these other candidates you know looking at potentially supporting um an alternative to trump you know be that desantis or 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 somebody else um she said she hasn't completely written off trump yet um but um but i thought that was interesting and then um i talked to another um uh iowa uh republican voter um who said um he's he he believes that um trump uh handicapped the party in the um 2022 um midterms um uh said that uh he likes the way that uh, DeSantis has led, has led the state of Florida and in protecting uh, children, including signing a six-week abortion ban and barring lessons on sexual orientation, gender identity in uh, Florida public elementary schools. Um, 
and um, you know, said of Trump, doesn't think that he's he's a team player. Again, stating that he thought uh, Trump undermined the party in um, the the 2022 midterm elections, um, and uh, you know, is um, you know is, is is looking at kind of the broad anti-Trump uh, faction that's uh, that's running right now, and um, waiting to see which of those candidates um, is going to be able to emerge and, you know, game steam and cement themselves as kind of the most appealing uh, alternative to uh, to the former president. Yeah, yeah, to to that point. So let, let me uh, finish this up here and, and, and springboard off of what those, um, um, something that those last two voters you were just talking about were kind of alluding to, Tom. And, and I didn't put anything about the um, indictment fallout into the script because it was kind of all unfolding um, literally as I was writing this script last night and I, I didn't kind of wrap my brain around it and get it in on time, but but maybe this is a good way, opportunity to address it. We've been talking for so long that for all of the, you know, the 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 issues that uh, President Trump has to deal with, um, he still has a, what seems feels like a fairly strong lead in, in, in this field and the polling that certainly in the national level bears that out. Um, but but we still do also hear at these events, and I heard it again throughout this week, and this was before Thursday night's indictment announcement, that I just hear so often, I, I like what President Trump did. I don't like everything that comes with it. I, I'm looking for someone else who can do all those things uh, without you know all the issues that come along with it. Um, and I just, as this indictment has rolled in, so now he's been in, 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 got two legal issues going on, and we haven't gotten to the to the election um, tampering case yet, which which will be coming down the pipeline at, at some point here. Um, uh, so he's got another round still to come. I I I'm I have to wonder: uh, is this enough? Is this going to eventually erode um, his you know that sort of Teflon Don image and and uh, among Iowa Republican voters in this election? Are are there going to be enough? Who will say? I mean, obviously, he's always going to have his hardcore base. It's not going to leave him no matter what. Um, but I, but I'm hearing out there that there are a measurable percentage of people beyond that base who have supported him in the past, but aren't his hardest core supporters and are interested in someone else because of all this. And as all this stuff continues to pile up, I wonder if that it does start to clear the way for one of these other candidates, whether it's Ron DeSantis or 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 someone from the field. I'll open it up to the floor here to see if anybody has any thought on that. I don't know. I guess my initial thought is if it's going to do anything, I think it's just going to fire up the GOP base. I mean, we're 100 percent. We're I mean, we're we're seeing statements from some of the other GOP candidates who, um, you know, are going after Biden or going after the DOJ, saying that this is another example of um, weaponizing uh, the justice system uh, against Trump um, to go after political opponents or score political points. Um, you know, Governor Reynolds said something along those lines in a statement uh, on social media this morning. Um, Iowa Republican U.S. Representative Ashley Henson uh, essentially said the same thing to reporters on a conference call this morning. I mean, you know, among GOP primary voters, you know, we we um, you know we 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 didn't see um, 
you know, much, much of a, a, a backlash or, or worry or consternation when um, a um, New York jury, um, you know, issued their verdict um, against Trump in a, a sex abuse and, and defamation case um, in, involving um, a columnist, you know, which is more scandalous, less nuanced than this, this current indictment. And, you know, we also didn't see kind of that same kind of, 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 of worry or anxiety uh, when he was indicted for uh, falsifying uh, business records, you know, which uh, Trump, you know, turned to his political advantage to argue that, again, Democrats have weaponized the DOJ as part of a massive attempt to interfere with the 2024 election. And I think that this just further plays into that narrative you know, especially when Biden and others have also been found with confidential documents. Um, you know, I realize that 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 the the cases are vastly different and they're extenuating circumstances um, with Trump, but I think the average GOP voter isn't going to see that distinction. That's a good point. Well, and, and I was going to say the the former president got good news this morning because his case has at least initially been assigned to federal judge Eileen Cannon, who is a the Trump appointed judge who was, you know, criticized, I believe, last year for issuing a, you know, a series of pretty remarkably favorable rulings for the Trump team. So uh, whether she presides over the entire case remains to be seen. But that's, you know, he's he's got a judge who has a track record of of, of finding things his way. Speaking of other reactions, you had another candidate in the field of uh, Vivek Ramaswamy say he would pardon Trump uh, if if he got elected to to office. So throw Perry Johnson in that category as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you would think this would be an ideal moment to be attacking him. But even other people that are competing against him for the same job are defending him. Yeah, and I, I guess that may only, be. Sorry. sorry right now, I think the only candidate that. Has issued a statement not defending Trump is uh, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, and and maybe that answers my question for me because the, the, these candidates are seeking the support of the very people I just asked about, the Iowa Republican voters, and and they clearly think that the move is to uh, defend the former president, and and um, and uh, and so that would seem to indicate that they believe that those voters are, are more likely to uh, uh, stick with and defend the president. And, and that's the path to, to staying on their radar. So yeah, maybe, maybe that, uh, that very well could be the case. All right. Well, something worth keeping an eye on and we'll be out there all summer and fall talking to voters about what's going on. And there'll be plenty to discuss in future episodes, but that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Craig Erickson will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you all for listening.
desert for a while Looking for some kind of sweet relief I got promises But sometimes they're real They try to play their trick on me Yeah Water I'm getting kind of thirsty down here Sometimes it takes a little bit of help Find a new design by the divine intervention Before they ring that midnight bell Well, I need a little water But didn't count this down here So give me some water for my soul I need a little water from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.